First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four as we turn our attention to the Word of God. It's our privilege to be able to work our way through this uh, this letter from Peter to the churches in Asia Minor. And uh, we are on chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of good judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Each as each One has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who speaks the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your precious word. Lord, I pray that as we unpack this little passage that we would get as much from it as we possibly can that would nourish our souls, that we would find strength and we would find energy that we would grow strong spiritually as a result and i pray that we would apply what we know and not be forgetful hearers but effectual doers as we read as we study and as we learn these things may it show up in our life and we pray these things in jesus name amen For the past 200 years, Satan has tried to distort the truth. And he's done a good job. He he wants to twist and distort. But God, by His grace, has allowed the church to to be able to discern uh, these distortions. And we have the... uh, Word of God to lay, that is laid out for us to be able to discern these things and to be able to correct the errors that He wants to introduce into the church. And obviously, for the church, for us believers, truth is important. But there seems to be a new strategy today that Satan seems to be using. Um, and that is not just to distort the truth, that probably is still into play, but He wants to just completely remove the truth, just to take the truth away, to make it irrelevant, to to make it subjective, to make it tied to the individual, to the individual's happiness, their goals, their desires, their particular bent on life. And for everybody else then, it's just irrelevant. It's just what's true to me. It's the adage that we heard this morning, it's... They did what is right in their own eyes. It was truth to them. And as Christians, we deal, we have to deal with the truth. We have to get to the truth. We have to know the truth. And then we know the truth is found in God's Word. We discover that truth. We, we defend that truth. We speak that truth. We pass that truth on to our, our children. It's just a 
And, and, and we have to live that truth. We have to live that truth out in our lives. And it's just the opposite of what we see. Uh, most of the time we see just the elevation of our own desires. What we think is to be is, is true. Our own, Paul would say, our own vain imaginations. Our own disillusionment, our own deception. When you, when you go to uh, Disneyland or Disney World out in California, it's uh, it's easy to for kids to think, man, this is great. This is a great place to to live. But that's a it's a fantasy land. It's a, you're just hopping from one thrill ride to the next thrill ride, right? That's not real life, is it? it it's a fantasy world. If, if you will. But what we find, though, is truth is is crucial. And, and Satan wants to take it away. He wants to distort the truth, but he also just wants to take it away. He wants to make it irrelevant. But when we do that, we put society in danger. Um, when we lived in Indiana, we lived there for six years, southern Indiana. It was part of the, the tornado belt. And this time of the year... We would enter tornado season, and we would be uh, would be somewhat connected to our, our radios. And you'd have to watch the watch the weatherman and listen to the weatherman, because he could tell you if there's a tornado that was uh, sighted and where that was, and and uh, just the dangers that we're in. Now, if he didn't tell us those things, then he's putting us at risk, and that's the same idea. There's a if we don't know the truth, if we don't know where that tornado is, then we can be at risk and we want to know the truth. And the same way in the in the spiritual realm. And we know this as Christians, we we have the truth and we have to speak the truth to society that there is a God, that we are sinners, that we will someday give an account to that God. That's very sobering. It's very sobering. And not knowing that truth or rejecting that truth is going to result in people dying and going to hell. And that's pretty sobering to us. We have to get that truth out to society because society right now is in danger of the wrath of God. And we are in the business, Christians are in the business of truth. Truth. And there's certain truths that you have to know to become a Christian, to be a Christian, to be a member of our church who... You have to know there's certain truths that you have to um, believe in. We have to have the right God. We have to believe in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have to believe that He created and He has communicated to us through His Word. If we don't get the right God, then we're worshiping a false God. That's idolatry. It's very important that we understand truth. We have to understand that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. We have to understand that this was God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it is sufficient. It is capable of taking the average person who puts its faith and trust in God and to make them righteous. It can do that. It's sufficient to do that. And as Christians, we understand how important the truth is. But Christianity is not just an intellectual belief system. Christianity is not just believing a set of truths. We have to live those truths out. We have to live in light of that truth, those truths. 
Being informed is one thing that you have to live out your daily life. But being informed makes the difference. It, it has to apply to your your life every morning or every night before we go to sleep. I'll ask my wife, what's your schedule for tomorrow? Or in the, in the morning, I'll ask her, what's your schedule? What do you plan to do today? And so that informs me of, of the day. What am I supposed to do that day? What am I going to get accomplished? And, and when do I have to be here? When do I have to be there? And that helps. But, but that truth, that information has to translate into real life. That's the point. And in this passage, Peter is wanting to make sure that the church takes truth and lives by it and applies it to their life. Now, in the past few weeks, we've seen that Peter has dealt with the heart of the, this letter and the very heart of this letter is the essential elements of um, essential principles of godly suffering. And I want you to see the chart that we have on the on the screen there. I believe it's. I believe it's there. And this is it kind of in a nutshell. And you see at the top, the peak of the iceberg, that's what people see as the conflict. But what what drives all of that is, well, the next level is the lifestyle. That conflict arises from a lifestyle, and that lifestyle is driven by certain motives. And you see all of those. And those are the past, that's the past few weeks we've gone over that. And this is to prepare those, those Christians to be able to go through persecution with their faith intact. That's the idea. That's what we want. And the path of, the path to heaven, folks, is a path of suffering. It's a path of persecution. Christ prepared us and told us of that. And He suffered Himself. We'll look at that more next week. And the early church expected it. Early on, the church saw that, that uh, Stephen was put to death by the Jews. James was put to death by Herod. In fact, around the same time, Peter, we were learning on Wednesday nights on our Acts class, that Peter was, was put to death, or, or ready to be put to death, and, and he escaped. He was put in prison, and he was, it was going to, after the, the Passover, he was going to be put to death, and, and the, Angel came and rescued him out of that. And that was by Herod again. So the church was expecting persecution. They were anticipating that. And Peter is preparing for that moment that they would suffer for the sake of Christ. Now, so we understand how important truth is. And we understand we have to get it right. But we have to, we have to live out that truth even in the face of suffering. And believers, as new creatures in Christ, our daily lives have to reflect that that new position that we have in Christ. I like what um, R.C. Sproul said this, and this is the the point. This is the, the principle that I want you to know. It is not how much you know the Bible, but how much you live the Bible. We have to live what we know. We have to live out this word and we have to do it in a practical way that people see it in our lives. Now, the question is, is, is what, what makes up this daily spiritual routine? What is it that we are to do 
Especially these people here while they're waiting to be persecuted, waiting possibly even to be put to death. What are they to do on a, on a daily basis? They just sit back and wring their hands or politically get involved to try to change things or what are they to do? And Peter lays out three principles here. The first is what drives us. The second is what do we do on a daily basis? And third is the, the, he answers the question, why? Why do we do all of these things? So let's look at the first one. You see the first principle here. The daily routine of the believer. These are spiritual routines of the believer. This is kind of like a checklist, if you will, of the believer is driven by the fact of Christ's return. Now, notice if you look in verse 7, it says the end of all things is near. And that's just a declarative statement. It's just, he doesn't try to defend that. He just throws that out there. This is a reality for all of us. All of us have to live under this, this truth. And it's just truth. It's just true as, as God is standing up here before us today and he says Christ is going to return. It's truth. Truth. And he declares this to us. And he says the end of all things, the the end would be the termination. It's not really the termination of all things as though all things are going to cease, but it's the the completion of all things. The the goal has been accomplished. Everything is going to be completed. The king is going to be crowned. And really, it's the beginning of all things for the believer, the believer's life. But it would be the end of all things as, as we would know it. Things would be transitioning. And it's referring to, throughout the New Testament, when you see this phrase, it's referring to the return of Christ. That Christ is going to return. He is going to establish His his kingdom. The, the believers are going to be rewarded. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And you have the day of the Lord. You have the judgment of God. And He says it's near. It's approaching. It's imminent. It, it could happen at any moment. Now, the church has been hearing that for 2,000 years. And you know what? It, it doesn't... It doesn't lessen the church, church's hope. It doesn't, it doesn't take away from our eagerness that it's been 2,000 years. We're just as eager for Christ to come as ever. Christ is going to come. The end is at hand. It's near. And this is to be spoken, we'll see a little bit later, it's to be spoken as though God were speaking it Himself to us. That's sobering, sobering to us. Now, the next word is so important. He says, the end of all things is near. He says, therefore. Now, as a result of that one claim, that one truth claim... We have to live a certain way. It has results. It has to, it has to be lived out in our life. Therefore. And he lists some things. Therefore. It has bearing on our life. I like what MacArthur says at this point. He says this, the contemporary church urgently needs spiritual re- revival. And that will occur only when believers get beyond personal desires and long to, to think and to speak and to live in the way Scripture outlines. Folks, we've got to get over ourselves. 
get ourselves out of the way and be renewed by this word. Allow it to live out in our life. That's the, that's the point, the therefore. Therefore, here's some things that you are to do just in light of that one little truth is what Peter is saying. Now, Christ is going to return. The end of all things is near. Christ is is ready to come at at any moment. We see that in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, the last verses in the Bible. Christ says, I will return and I will come quickly, the Bible says. And the New Testament believers, they always live in eager anticipation of Christ's return as though it can happen at any moment. Christ's teaching, now you'll see... Some principles here, some applications throughout the the New Testament, how this is to be applied, the the return of Christ, that you see them on the board. In Matthew chapter 13, we were to be watchful that Christ could come back at any time. Romans chapter 13, we're, we're to lay aside any deeds of darkness. Revelation 16, we're to walk clothed in righteousness. James is very practical. He says we're to be patient. Till Christ comes. We're being, to be like the farmer who plants and waters. He does all of these things and, and is just patiently waiting for that crop to grow. In Hebrews chapter 10, we see that uh, we're to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. When you, you see Christ uh, coming, he says, assemble even more. Even more in 1 John 3, 3, he says to purify ourselves. That's the way it's to, uh, applied in, in Scripture. But let me, uh, let's just make some of our own application here. Because Christ is, is going to come back at, at any moment, we, we live a sort of a detached life from this world. Um, like a, a pilgrim mentality, if you were. And, and that kind of rises us a, above the fray. We're not affected by the hullabaloo of this world. The, the, the news and the, the politics and the, the fads and the, the silly pursuits and the distractions of this world. We, we are to rise above that. We're to be detached. That's an application. Why? Because we're looking for Christ. We're looking for eternity. We're looking for Christ to return at any moment. Another thing, and this is just my own application. I had to learn this. I really just recently thinking through this. But we don't try to fix this world. Because of Christ's return at any moment, we're not trying to fix the world and, and to make it heaven on earth. That's not our purpose. We're just trying to prepare ourselves for eternity, prepare this world for Christ's return. That's what we're doing. And another application is just from Scripture is that we are, we are to encourage one another with these words. Hey, Christ is going to return. It could happen any moment. Christ is going to come back. And it, it, it sounds a little cliche. We've heard it so often and so much. But folks, it's not just cliche. It is truth. Christ will return. He is coming back. And that is to be our focus. Every day we get up, that gets us out of bed, Peter says. We're to live under that truth. That's an urgency. The soberness is a purpose to our life. That Christ is going to come back. And we're to remind ourselves every day. Every day. That Christ is going to return. And and that that stimulates us. That motivates us. That drives us. that, That feeds the fuel of our hope. On a daily basis. Now, number two. What are we to do about it? 
what, how do we live then in light of that on a daily basis? How are we to live out this truth? He gives us four things. And here it is. Number one, here's the four things that we're to do. He says, and look at back at verse 7, there, uh, the end of all things is near, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober in spirit. Now, it's, it's really a combination of, of both of these things. Sound judgment, that's mental, and sober in spirit, that's spiritual. But the, it's talking about the whole inner man. The whole inner man is to be sober. Sober. Sober-minded, we might say. A good example of this, I want you to understand this, this idea. A good example is in Luke chapter 8. You could turn over there with me if you like. But Luke chapter 8 and verse uh, 35. But I want to read the whole passage here because this will give us an idea of this, this word. Luke chapter 8 verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of um, the Gerasenes, which is opposite... Galilee. That would be on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they have to intentionally go across the Sea of Galilee and get there. And when he had come out into the land, he was met with a man from the city who, had, who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothes for a long time. That's a little embarrassing. And was not living in, house, in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cries out and falls before him and says with a loud voice, What business do we have with you, with each other, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment us. Obviously, the demon is speaking here. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for It had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackled and kept under guard. And yet he would break the bonds, and and they would drive him into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legions. For many demons had entered him. They, They were imploring him not to command command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was heard there was a herd of many swines feeding there in the mountains, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter into the swine. And he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they were the ones that were responsible. They were the ones in charge of these these pigs. So they ran away and reported into the city and out into the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they found the man who was whom to whom the demons had gone out sitting down in at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were they became fearful. I think that's funny that they became fearful at that point. 
He was clothed and he, he was in his right mind. That's the idea. In fact, that's the same phrase that we see that Peter is using here. Now, he is not, he is no longer influenced by the demons. He was in his right mind. That just means he had control of his own faculties. Is is to think and to live wisely in self-control over one's own passions and desires. And the idea here is we, we're not swept away by the emotions and passions, by our own emotions and passions, but maintain a, a proper eternal perspective, this perspective that Christ could return at any moment. That's the idea that Peter has back in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, let's think about this. When we're under the influence of other people, we call that, the the biblical term is the fear of man. That's the the biblical label that man puts on it, that the Bible puts on it. We, We call it peer pressure. Peer pressure kind of softens it up a little bit. It's the fear of man. It's not the fear of God. It's the fear of man. And we, we want to be cool. It has its effect on us in certain ways. It motivates us to do things that we wouldn't necessarily otherwise do. Another way that we're influenced is maybe when we join a cult or a religion, that ideology has its influence on us. Or if you're in a mob, there's a, a mob mentality that has a, an influence that it can sweep you away in, in the emotions of the moment. Or sometimes you just hear the same lie over and over and over again. You, you become influenced with that lie. And of course, alcohol and drugs have a huge influence. Alcohol and drugs, in, they, they loosen our tongue so that the Depraved heart, it has no guard. It just says whatever it wants. Alcohol does that. Alcohol has its influence on us. Now, folks, the principle is someone's going to lead us. Someone's going to lead us. And we need to make sure it is the words of this Holy Spirit, the words of Scripture here, that we are under its influence. And he says, he goes on to say, for the purpose of prayer, so that we can best know how to pray at at any moment, at every moment, we can pray from God's perspective, from an eternal perspective. That has to guard us, this sober spiritual mindedness. That's the idea. So every day, Every day we need to wake up and, and, and put that on. Make sure that we, we have that, that. That we know that, that Christ could come back at any moment. And we are to have sound judgment. Nothing is going to influence me today except the influence of truth and the Word of God. Number two. Number two. Look at verse 8. He says, Above all... So even more important than that, he's saying, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. The second thing on the checklist is that we love one another and we do it fervently. And the, that, that term fervently is to stretch. It's, a, it's an athletic term. It's to stretch your muscles to the point of, of maximum output. It's, it's when you, you have these, you see these... Uh, Sometimes they'll have them on TV, the, the um, uh, arm wrestling or maybe a tug of war, and you see these 
these men's muscles just bulging and they're just being stretched and strained. Sometimes runners right at the end of the, the, the finish line, they're just pushing it for all it's worth, all that they can get out of their muscles. They're to stretch, we're to stretch in our love for one another, Peter says. Stretch it. And then he quotes, he quotes uh, Proverbs chapter 10, which says this very thing, that love covers a multitude of sin. It's not that sin is, is not sin anymore. We don't keep each other accountable. We, we still do that, Matthew 18. But it, it's that I'm, I'm willing to overlook that sin against me. I'm willing to, to put up with a, a few things because of my love for you. And I'm not going to be a touch-me-not, is what my mom would say. I can. This is a, a love that is the, the oil for an engine kind of love. that just keeps the friction low. And that's what Peter is talking about here. This is a biblical kind of love. This is a 1 Corinthians chapter 13 kind of love. It, it's not a love that I'm going to just give you everything that you want. That's just catering to a sinful heart. That's not biblical love at all. Spiritual love, biblical love, is doing what is good for you, spiritually the best for you. That's biblical love. It's the, it's the idea that I'm willing to forgive you. I'm, I, I don't seek my own. There's no pride there. I, I'm not going to rejoice in your sinfulness. One of the commentaries, Linsky, that I was reading, he said this, Only when Christians become mean and ugly do they favor the devil by dragging each other, other's failings out into the public and smiting each other on the face. That's the idea. We like to drag other people's sins and, 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 and show everyone that. No, the idea is we, we cover that. And we're to stretch ourselves to be able to love one another. And that becomes then the oil, folks, for a church, for a family, for, for any function. You have to have this kind of biblical love that I'll sacrifice for you, that it, it's okay, I, I'm, I'm not offended. But we have a, a world that's just offended at everything today. And, and so we wake up and we, we mark the, the checklist and we say, or at the end of the day, we say, who have I loved today? Intentionally, deliberately, sacrificed for. Number three is found in verse nine. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. The third thing on the list is be hospitable. Lover of strangers is literally what it is. It's a practical love, not an emotional kind of love. This is a practical love of opening one's home is, is really the idea. It's a, a love or concern for strangers that expresses itself in, in offering them food and shelter. Um, it's a kind of a disposition toward, toward guests that would, would come in and, and, and we would be friendly to them or generous to them. It's a, it's a come on over to my house idea. That's the idea. And hospitality was essential in the early church. You had the missionaries that would go out. You had evangelists that would go out. 
And and they would visit the church or they would come into an area and, and there wouldn't be hotels and, and things that we would see today. And we would say, come on into our house, live, live here, we will feed you. In the New Testament, we see, if you go to the next slide, we see it's, it's commanded in the New Testament. Hospitality was commanded. It was expected of the elders. It was a characteristic of elders. In Hebrews chapter 13, it's, he, he said, don't neglect this this gift or don't neglect this ability of of hospitality don't neglect that but there's one passage that i i want to read to you because i i just think it it kind of capsulizes this idea and that's in first i'm sorry third john third john verse five i just want to read this little passage it's so good beloved he says you are acting faithfully in Whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers, when you're acting faithfully and just doing what, what comes naturally and, and just bringing people into your homes, it says, and they have testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send, send them on their way in a manner worthy of, the, of God. In a manner worthy of God. Isn't that great? You come into an area, you don't know anybody, and someone brings you in and they treat you in a manner worthy of God. That's, that's a wonderful idea. That's hospitality. And he goes on to say, verse 7, for they went out for the sake of the name. That's the name of Jesus Christ. They went out. They uh, left the church so that they would be missionaries. They would be evangelists and church planters. They went out for the name Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They didn't get their support from the, from the unbeliever. Verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that they may be, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. They're in the business of truth and speaking the truth and, and, and uh, disciple making. And we bring them in and we minister to them and we're becoming partakers in their, in their ministry. That's the idea. I love that. I love that little picture. And he says, now we are to do that, he says in verse 9, back in First Peter chapter 4, verse 9, be hospitable to one another. We're to do that same thing with one another. As we see needs, to bring them in, feed them, shelter them. And he says to do this without complaint. Without complaint. Not, not the, why me? Why do I always have to do it? Nobody else is pulling their weight why me? So a checklist, number three, on a daily basis. Who have I ministered to in a hospitality kind of way? A routine, a com- routinely accommodating guests and strangers. Number four, and the, the last one here is in verse 10. Each one has received a spiritual gift or special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We have to use our gifts, number four. Use our gifts. So in the checklist, number four, we get up in the morning. How am I going to use my gifts today? Or at the end of the night, at the end of the day, how did I use my gifts, my spiritual gifts today? Spiritual gifts. Let me give you a few principles quickly here from the New Testament, some teaching Spiritual gift is a, a supernatural ability, a God-given ability by the Holy Spirit. And it's a gift. 
It's a gift. It's a, it's a grace gift. In fact, the word is grace. It's a, it's a grace that has been given to you by God through the Holy Spirit and you've received it and we're to, to be good stewards of that gift, of that ability, that special ability. And we're to manage that. And it's to be used for other people. That's the idea. Now, the key, though, is that every person has one. Every believer, everyone in this building, everyone in live streaming has a spiritual gift. And it is to be used for the body of Christ. There's no one left out. There's no useless members of our, our society, of our, of our church. No useless members. Every one of us have a place. Every one of us have a purpose. Every one of us have a gift. And there's various, various lists in the New Testament. And I don't think, I don't like to get hung up on the lists and, uh, because it's basically talking about our, our strong points. Now, it's good to know what we're strong in, and it's good to know the list, but there's various lists from the New Testament. But the idea is really there's a, a combination of gifts that, that we may have. It's not just one. There's really, we're gifted. There's giftedness. Giftedness is what we see really in Scripture. And, and the way it works is as I use my giftedness, you see my strength, that helps you to see where you're weak. And that helps you to see, well, hey, I know how now to, to be a better uh, something or whatever in, in a particular area. In hospitality, we may say. Someone just has a gift of, of hospitality. And I, I observe that and I say, man, that's the way to do it. And I learn from you. And the idea is to, to pull all of that together and to, to be perfectly balanced is to, be, is to have all of these gifts. That's a mature believer. It's to exercise all of these gifts. That's where we're going and for. And that's what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's what it's all about. It's about love. It's about being a mature believer. Love does these things. Now, Peter, he categorizes them and gives us two categories here. And he just says in verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so. So we see the first one is speaking. And the second one is serving. He categorizes them in two, two sections here. And whoever speaks is to do so as one who speaks the utterances of God. That would be the teachers and evangelists and encouragers. That would be counselors and, and preachers. And you are to speak as though you were speaking the very word of God. That's the idea. In Titus chapter 2, let me just remind you of this. Titus chapter 2. Verse 15, he says, these things speak and exhort and reprove. That's the speaking gifts with all authority. Let no one disregard you with all authority. As, as though God were speaking through you, God himself, through his word. That's the way you are to, that's the way you're to speak. That's the way you're to use that gift. And if you have, if you're in the category of, of serving, that would be administration and helps and giving and these mercy-type ministries. He says in the middle of verse 11, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Now, it's not that we have our, our strength and, and God has His strength and we just tap into God's strength. No, we don't have any strength in ourselves. This is talking about... Uh, we, we have no strength independent of God. This is talking about... The kind of strength. This is 
unending strength. This is abounding with energy or abundant energy, boundless energy kind of strength. As though God were working through you in His endless power. And He's talking about, he's talking about don't be lazy. He's talking about don't do things as half-hearted or don't, don't do it complaining and whining like kids. We never allow our kids to whine. Hate that little whiny voice. And I'm sure God, when we're using our gifts, we're ministering to people, but we're doing it with a whiny voice. I'm God, I'm sure that God hears the same kind of grating. We're to do things in God's strength, abounding strength. And the routine of our, our lives, folks, is to be using our gifts. Now, I'm afraid that COVID has haltered that, hasn't it? It's kind of put us in our own little bubble, made us focus on our own self, and that's that's just a breeding ground, folks, of for sin, for the flesh. We've got to get outside ourselves. We have to focus on other people. God has gifted you in some way to be able to focus and to minister to other people. And we need to to break this COVID bubble. Now, however we can do that, we need to do that. It's been a year. It's been a year. And this is part of our fellowship. Mingling the gifts together and learning from one another and doing things for one another. Ministering to one another. It's just part of discipleship. It's part of a church. It's what's a church. It's one of the core elements of a church is, is fellowship, is using these gifts. And folks, we, we can't let COVID hinder us any longer. We have to keep going. Our focus is not on ourselves. Our focus is on serving God. And folks, when we're serving, I'm sorry, serving others, and when we're serving others, we're serving God. And we're building up the kingdom of of God, a kingdom of Christ, building up Christ's church. Remember what Christ said, if you do do to the least of these, even just a cup of cold water, you do it to to them, you're doing it to me. We, We need to remember that. Serving others, but we're serving God. And folks, these churches in Asia Minor that Peter is writing to, they need to, they need to remember that. They could set in fear and, and let the, the fear of persecution and the fear of potential suffering just paralyze them. And Peter is saying, on a routine basis, you need to be using your spiritual gift. You need to get outside yourself and to be focused on others and not allowing that fear to, to stifle you, to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. We're to be doing good for others. We're to be using our spiritual gifts. Now, the question is, why? Why all of this? Look at verse, the middle verse 11 So that, now that's a good transition little phrase, so that, here's why, here's going to be the result, so that in the thing in which, so that in all things, now I love that, in all things, God may be glorified. We do all things to the glory of God. Everything that we do is for, for God's glory. That's the purpose, so that, it gives purpose, it's God's glory, and there's plenty of verses, folks, and you know, we are to do all things for, for God's glory. 
But look, he says, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We are in Jesus Christ. All of our works, all of the things that we do reflect on Jesus Christ. And so it it gives Him glory. It points to Him. Any good that's in us is because of Christ. To whom belong all glory and dominion forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. That's why we do it. To give glory to Christ. To give glory ultimately to God. That's why we do it. That drives us. That gets us up in the morning. And And it... It's a supernatural power that only God supplies, only God can supply. And it points to His glory. And when we live out these things in our life, God's stamp of approval is on this daily routine. It's like the FDA seal of approval. You, you'd be cautious if, if it, it wasn't there. You would say, ah, where's the seal of approval? Nobody's approved this. God's stamp of approval is on this lifestyle. God says this glorifies Christ and ultimately it glorifies me. Now, folks, when we are when we're under the influence of other people, we want to please them. We want to impress upon them how great we are. We want to mimic them, do the things that they do. We want to be like them. And that that's incredible power that people have over us. And we've got to stop that. We have to be influenced by the glory of God. We want to please God. We want to mimic God. We want to be like God, Christ. And every day, I think, we need to go through this little checklist. We're motivated by Christ's return that that gets us up out of bed in the morning and that that sobers us, that that causes us to, to have sound judgment. And then we love one another and hospitality towards strangers and we're using our gifts toward one another. And we do it for the glory of God and we say, check, 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 check at the end of the day. And God says, boom, stamp of approval. That glorified me. That, that day glorified me. It's not how much you know the Bible. It's how much you live the Bible. And we must make sure that our daily life matches what we say we believe, doesn't it? We say we believe these things. Do we live them out? Well, Peter, he's wanting them to make sure to get their minds off themselves, focused on each other, focused on spiritual growth, focused on making disciples, focused on using those spiritual gifts Loving one another for the glory of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. How precious it is, Lord. May it not just be information. May it not just be, just puff us up intellectually that we know all of these things. Lord, help it to be seen in our life. Let that be the driving purpose of our knowledge so that people can see our lives. There's a change. There's a difference there. Something distinct. And and Lord, may it point to Christ. May He get the glory. He deserves all of the glory forever and ever and ever. 
Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of this. Even on a daily basis, the routine of our life, Lord, can glorify you. And we thank you for that privilege of allowing us to to be part. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.